Welcome to MumCast, MyMum.com's podcast on all things Model United Nations. Today's guest, in fact, the first guest on the MumCast podcast, is certainly a large name among the uh, MUN community in the US or even worldwide. His name is Ryan Villanueva. He's one of the co-founders of uh, Best Delegate, um, which is a company he founded uh, some years ago, leaving behind his uh, well-paying job at Goldman Sachs to go full-time MUN teacher, uh, consultant, and more. Ryan, welcome. Robin, thanks for having me. So, uh, thanks for coming onto the show. Uh, we know this is a little bit of an uh, experiment, so. Uh, Special thanks to you for uh, bringing yourself in for the for the first episode. We've got two topics that we want to, or that I suggest that we talk to about today. And uh, the first one goes straight into your your company and and your mission. Uh, but before we start with that, maybe for those listeners who don't know you yet, which I imagine isn't many, could you just introduce yourself real quick? Uh, tell our listeners what Best Delegate is and how you how you came to lead that project. Sure. So uh, firstly, thank you for having me on the show. And I get, there's a new initiative um, and we're both entrepreneurs, right? So we want to try new things. Um, and I think that's how we create value in the world. And, you know, for me and for Best Delegate, uh, personally, I've been doing Model UN for 18 years now. Uh, I started as a freshman in high school growing up in Southern California. Uh, everything that I learned through MUN that MUNers get out of doing this activity uh, helped me get into university. And I went to Yale, uh, where I continued to do Model UN. Um, and in my senior year of college, I started uh, a blog about Model UN called bestdelegate.com uh, because I thought I was done. You know, I'd done eight years of MUN, and like I think a lot of college students, I just thought I was done. And yeah, I went to work on Wall Street. Uh, that was in 2008. Um, so at the height of the financial crisis, I was at Goldman Sachs. Uh, we were managing like liquidity and funding risk. And after two years of that, I just decided um, I didn't want to be in finance anymore. And I thought about going back to business school. But instead, I asked myself, if I could do anything in the world right now, what would it be? And the idea that I had was to take this blog and turn it into a company. And I thought to myself, what's holding me back from doing that? And I realized it was nothing except my own fear. So quit my job, uh, partnered with one of my, my best friends from high school. His name is Kevin Felix Chan. In the MUN world, we call him KFC. And uh, he also had this idea because we'd been friends throughout high school and college. And um, he quit his job. And that was in 2010. And... Best Delegate formally started on January 3, 2011, became a company. And uh, over the last seven, eight years, we've built it into this global company that teaches Model United Nations all over the world. That's a fantastic, That's a fantastic success fantastic story, especially, as, as you said, coming from a, from a fellow uh, entrepreneur in, in the MUN world. And I especially liked, I've actually never heard that before, I've, I've heard you tell the story a few times before when we've met but you've never mentioned yeah. you've never mentioned the angle of what uh, what could i what would i do if i could do anything or anything i wanted to do uh, and that it was about overcoming your own fear i think that's uh, that's a very insightful thing uh but what i wanted to to get it thank you uh, i'm sure you could i'm sure you could empathize with that too right as a fellow entrepreneur like it's all you got to manage your own fears and think about like you're doing this right now and there's like a, you know you're very capable and there's a lot of other things you could do but this is the one thing that you're going to do because you think it's the most important thing right now yeah and uh, i mean the fear never really subsides i mean you overcome it but that doesn't mean it, it disappears you still uh in in moments of uh of not so of not so successful business you still ask yourself is this am i doing the right thing am i wasting my time i'm sure you you feel the same sometimes. So yeah, it's, sure. it's a challenge every day. I, I agree. It is. Um, but what yeah. I was always wondering about, and I've never asked you so directly, and now, now I'll have you on the record answering it in, in some depth. Uh, and, it, <laughs> okay. and, it, and it goes towards the, the first topic of 
competitiveness in, in Model UN. And uh, you kind of have it in the name, which is Best Delegate. <laughs> so sure. all those years ago, what, what prompted you to name the blog and then name the company <laughs> Best Delegate? Is, is that your mission statement in, it, in itself? So, <laughs> um, one, I was sitting in my dorm room in college. I literally was like, all right, I'm, I'm done with MUN. This was like late October of 2007. And, you know, blogs were becoming a thing. And I'm like, oh, what if I could start like a blog and make it about Model UN? You know, I went on Blogger. That was like the old platform that I think got acquired by Google later. And you know, you can just type in like whatever name you want for your blog. And I was just like, all right, what, what should I call it? Like MUN world, like MUN something. And I was like, there's so many things that start with MUN, but what's something that you only know if you're in model UN, you know, that got my mind thinking about like the gavel about the awards. And then the thing like, like the award of best delegate, I was just like, Oh, bestdelegate.com. Uh, and I was just like, that sounds good to me. And so I just, I just went with that. Right. And, um, I just registered that name on blogger and started writing some of the first blog posts, which were about like, what's the point of the, this blog? Uh, what is MUN today? That's still like one of the most viewed pages on the website. And then like how to win best delegate. It was like the first you know series, like on the blog. and. Um, you know, I know you want to talk about competitiveness and awards and, you know, I've had to think about this and I was thinking about it when I started the, the, the website and I was like, you know, am I trying to get people to like, quote unquote, you know, win best delegate. And I was like, it's not just that it's like defining what does it mean to be a best delegate? Right. It was like a, I was trying to reframe the conversation. I was like, we're so focused on awards and like winning the awards. And that's, that's fun and all that certainly incentivized me to perform. But I also knew like the dark side of awards and the dark side of competition. And I was just like, what does it really mean to be a best delegate? What does it mean to, to, to be that no matter what award you win or don't win. And like one of our core values now at best delegate is bring out the best. And the way I think about best delegate now is the best delegate is someone who brings out the best in other delegates. And that's been like a whole, you know, culture shift, like for me, you know, personally, but within the organization. And that's what I think we're actually doing at best delegate. Like, you know, we, we enjoy awards too, like the way that they're currently framed, but we also think that awards should support like a conference's uh, learning goals and educational objectives, and that there's you know a larger purpose to like being the best delegate, and it's more than winning a sheet of paper or a piece of wood. That sounds like a very uh, and I mean this in in a positive way, not 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 derogatory. But it sounds like a very enlightened attitude towards you know winning best delegate <laughs> and uh, and and getting awards. How how successful? Do you think you've been in reframing the the MUN world's uh, perception of what what awards represent in in the past few years? Considering that one of the things that uh, the Best Delegates website is most famous and and most visited for are the the rankings that you put out that try to uh, objectively compare uh, how well delegates delegates perform. Have you been successful in in your mission to to reshape that? I was, I don't think of it as, um, like trying to be uh, quote unquote, like successful at this as in like, there's no score or metric, right. That I'm trying to move towards. What I do think is that, uh, as an organization and, and, you know, represented by the website and what we do, I think we are living, you know, our purpose and our mission within this community and within this activity. Um, by that, I mean, you know, the original thesis behind starting best delegate was, um, that there's like a lack of, uh, information and resources about MUN and there should be, 
uh, a place where people can go to to just learn about MUN, like one place where people can learn about it. And that um, MUN, there's no central authority for MUN, uh, which creates like all these you know, uh, issues. At the same time, it creates like this beautifully diverse activity where different organizations and different conferences can uh, you know, shape MUN into an activity. Yeah, well, it's funny that you mentioned uh, central authority for MUN. Um, just yesterday, I think, I was reading the MUN subreddit. So if you go to reddit.com slash r slash MUN, there's a community there uh, by, uh, by Redditors for people who do MUN. And one of the questions that came up was, uh, are MUNs getting profit-oriented and fame-seeking, getting less ethical in the long run? That's the title. And what the, the poster... Uh, the original poster asked is should there be a, a central planning authority kind of for MUN that sets standardized rules for conferences and awards uh, and everything and uh, of course everyone told him well that's a ridiculous idea how are you how are you going to pull that off nobody's going to submit to this to this authority um, do you think that's if, if it were possible to pull off that that is something you know desirable to have a, to have a central planning uh, central organizational structure for MUN? So, I don't think there literally needs to be like a central planning authority. I think from my American perspective, that sounds like too like harsh. Too much communism. Yeah, it's just, and, and maybe that's a cultural bias, right? But I'm just like, I don't know if we need to literally like centralize you know, everything, like centralize the governance of it. What I do think, though, is that there's a benefit from uh, having such a place for communication and coordination and collaboration, right? And, you know, I, I also think there's a certain irony because, like, you know, if, if we're modeling the UN, you know, the UN is a membership organization of all these different sovereign member states, right? And, you know, each member state, each country, you know, is sovereign, but they benefit from coordination. And I think it's actually similar for MUN organizations, that each organization, each conference is sovereign, um, but we would benefit greatly from increased uh, coordination and collaboration um, between, between groups. Uh, there already is a structure very similar to that, that's kind of you know, bridging the gaps between the hobby UN aficionados and the, and the real uh, sovereign member states, and those are the UN associations, and they associate in each country, and then they have countrywide associations, continent-wide associations, and uh, there's even a World Federation of United Nations associations. Uh, do you think they could they could pick up that mantle, or do we need a, uh, a model UN association association for that? <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about that idea actually. Um... And uh, personally, like, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with the, the work of the UNAs. Uh, Best Delegate does work with Wafuna. Uh, we're proud partners uh, with them, their conference, along with my UN. And uh, actually, as a student, I was involved with the United Nations Association in, my, uh, in Orange County um, and continued to actually volunteer, um, intern for them. I interned for UNA USA uh, and uh, was, <laughs> I wrote speeches for them at one point. Um, and staffed their conferences all through college, even a little after. And Best Delegate even worked with UN at USA. Um, and so, yeah, they're uh, as great as an organization. It does kind of like bridge that gap. At the same time, um, you know, they have a, the larger mission of engaging uh, citizens uh, and civil society um, in the service of the UN. And I think MUN um, is a part of that and can be a part of that and it can grow to be a part of that. And at the same time, I think that's different from. Uh, this need for coordination between the distinct like MUN organizations. Um, I think uh, that that kind of coordination and communication will require its own like kind of structure and frankly, like its own resources, right? I think UNAs uh, at the local, um, national, like and global level, like they have a, a really big mission and that requires like its own set of resources, I think, to, to carry out. Um, and I think MUN is a part of it. I think, UNAs um, should be engaging uh, civil society like through MUN. 
And at the same time, ambient organizations, I think, will require their own structure and set of resources in order to facilitate collaboration. Yeah, I, I agree that uh, that the structure isn't isn't that fitting. I would even go so far as saying that, um, you know, creating that MUN coordination thing, even if it weren't a central planning authority, but rather a uh, modeled after the uh, the image of a, of a federation or something, you know, where the where the whole becomes bigger than the sum of its parts. Uh, I don't even think that would work for for MUN. That will uh, because there's a lack, from my perspective, there's a lack of continuity and accountability in in most model UN associations uh, at at the very basic level. Um, maybe that's a European thing, and I'd love to hear your American perspective on it. But at least here in Europe, uh, all the model UN associations they basically um, change the roster of the people that that are in charge every year. So every year after a conference is over, uh, or after a delegation season is over, 95% of people on, on the board, 95% of people who are active, leave and new people come in. And that makes it really hard to, to create continuity or, or a lasting commitment to, for example, an MUN association. Uh, have you made the same observation? So... Uh, it is similar for most uh, college MUN programs in the United States, um, but I think it differs once you get to like secondary and like primary level. So, at, you know, for high school clubs, like there's the uh, in the United States we call them advisors, uh, moderators, or coaches. Um, in Europe and globally, they might be called directors. But like having that educator uh, there, um, at least. Uh, makes it more likely it creates the opportunity for continuity um so it makes that possible and then even amongst um college organizations uh in the usa um it this is not widespread across the board but um for some of the for some of the college clubs uh, there's a professor involved so like especially the schools that attend national mun they tend to be like more professor driven so at least there's some continuity there mun is part of a class um but then for other like very student driven organizations Uh, for example, like the Harvard, uh, like Georgetown, um, uh, University of Pennsylvania, um, they actually have uh, like a whole separate like nonprofit structure um, that uh, uh, encapsulates their MEM programming. And so then they have like a separate board of directors um, that provides like overall governance and can actually create some continuity um, and like in, in terms of like building out their MEM programming and like executing like a long-term strategy. So it's really fascinating to actually like look at those organizations because you know they're well known globally and within the U.S. for their MUN programming. What I think people don't know as as much is that they actually have like a formal governance structure around what they do, um, and they are like a Form 990, like 501c3 nonprofit, like in the United States. Oh, that's uh, that's quite interesting. But still, they, as far as I know, they haven't launched an initiative to you know get together and uh, create a body between them that that puts it. To that next level that we talked about, right? That's that's not happening. Ah, uh, no. What they have done though is uh, within their organizations, they've been able to build a structure that is able to expand on its own, right? Without um, needing to collaborate like domestically. However, they have that structure in place, and I believe it uh, enables them to partner globally, right? So if you look at those three specifically, like Harvard, Georgetown, UPenn. Um, they do conferences globally, right? Particularly in China, India. Uh, Harvard's also active in Latin America. Um, and you know, I was in college when those partnerships were starting to begin. Um, you know, and that's something like I was at Yale, and so we were also like involved in some of those discussions, right? But uh, looking at those three, it's like they've been able to like build that out over time. Yeah, that's, that's right? something and I like, notice as well. That's that seems to be a trend. Right. I noticed that with uh, with Wufuna uh, recently as well, uh, and and I made the same observation to some to somebody else and said, well, once you start having continuity of of governance in these organizations, they tend to branch out and they have a flagship project, and then they go to. So you mentioned India, uh, Wufuna is going yep. to uh, or went to yep. Brazil last year as well. And it just becomes a, a whole new level of, of MUN. Uh, but that's hard to pull off. Uh, 
Yes. I mean, it takes, it takes work. It takes dedicated work and resources to do it. Um, and if you're a university student and this is, you know, something you enjoy doing, but it's, you know, it's already like a part-time job, you know, that from like, sometimes like a full-time job, just organizing Emmy on conferences. So it's hard yeah. enough just to execute on that, but to build an actual like organizational and like management structure, governance, continuity. So yeah, it takes like dedicated time and even like the development of specific skills in order to pull that off. Yeah. Um, we strayed from our original topic, which was competitiveness uh, a little. So I just wanted to close the loop on that before we go on to, uh, to, the, to the next topic. And uh, I, I was still wondering about um, what kind of mindset you encounter when you first start working with delegates in your, uh, in your, workshop, uh, in your workshops that you do. Uh, is it the most common archetype of, of delegate that comes to your workshop, um, attends them and says, well, my, my objective here is I want to know how to get an award in, in every conference I go to, and uh, I don't really care about, you know, the, the mission of the UN, and that doesn't really interest me. I just want, I just want the gavels lined up on my, on my living room wall. Is, is, that a, is that somebody you encounter and that you work with? Or is that, is that a wrong cliche, maybe? So uh, I do work, we do work with that type of student. And I was that type of student when I was in high school, at least like really just wanting to win awards. Um, and I had to learn actually that there's, <laughs> there's more to MUN than the awards. Um, and I personally had to learn that actually when you stop focusing so hard on trying to win the awards. Um, not only do you become like a better delegate and I think a more well-rounded person, ironically, like more awards start coming to you. Um, so there's a certain, I think you, you kind of mentioned enlightened or like a Zen approach to MUN and, uh, at best delegate in our summer camps, like here in the U S and our workshops globally and the conferences where we do training, like we work with a whole range of students, right? Most students are, really just actually brand new to MUN and just want to know what to do. And so that's actually most of the type of student we're, we're working with. But then we also offer advanced programming uh, for those students who like want to win awards. In the United States, we call it our ambassador program. And uh, for those students, um, it's like we get the incentive to compete and want to win awards. And we do think that it needs to be, that energy is good and incentivizes performance, but it needs to be focused in a way that's like productive, that's uh, ethical, um, and in a way that's like strategic. And at the same time, help students see that like the point is not the award, right? Like if, it does feel good and it feels awesome. There's this energy to it, but there's all these things that go into winning and into preparing for a committee that, and like, they're like these fundamental skills when it comes to like speaking and like negotiation and strategy. And like, we focus on building those skills and we, we, we point out to those students, like by the end of our programs, like regardless of whether or not you win these awards and we hope you win awards, but regardless of whether you do it, like what do you come out of the conference with? Like you come out learning, you come out having developed these hard skills And I hope like most importantly, you come out like feeling part of a community and having friends because I think you and I know like when you overcompete and you go to like the dark side of like that competition, right? You may like learn, you'd learn things through that too, but it ends up like burning bridges. Right. And you know, it's just, it's just not a good vibe and it doesn't actually help you like in the long run. The thing that really helps you in the long run is to compete in a way that like other people respect. And yeah, you can compete hard. And you can have a hard position. You can be aggressive as a delegate, but to do it in a way that's within ethical bounds and in a way that other people can respect. And that at the end of the conference, like you're still, you know, students and learners and just, you know, can be friends and part of like this larger community. Like that's the bigger point. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And uh, if that's something you can manage to get across in your workshops, I, I, I applaud that work. I'm, I'm still not certain that somebody who comes into Uh, you know the MUN world with that drive, uh, like like you, can be can be taught to be more 
I don't know, considerate or enlightened. I think that's a process they, they have to go through and you kind of have, have to make that mistake to realize that, well, you, you can get the award, but you're, you're not going to make too many friends uh, along with it. Um, but, well, this provides a little bridge in, into our second topics because we're talking about competition a lot. And, well, it's true in, in committees that, you know, only one or two people, depending on many awards there are, uh, can get the awards. Uh, but this is also true on the on the next level, on the conference level uh, itself. And uh, I wanted to talk about with you the the commercialization of uh, of Model UN and sure. the the drive and the need that conferences uh, on an institutional level these days have to get um, to get delegates because there's a finite number of delegates and there's an ever growing number of conferences. We we both know that. Uh, very well, and uh, people starting starting to ask questions. I mentioned the Reddit thread um, j just before, but th also in other contexts, whether it's ethical or whether it's you know within the mission of MUN to do MUN for profit. And we just explored. Okay, it's it's okay to do MUN for competitiveness, and it's it's okay to want to come out, you know, on top just for the sake of it. Um, and you, do you think that's transferable to the conferences? Is it okay to run a competitive conference and to, you know, boot out the competition? Or is that taking it too far, in your opinion? So, I see you're, um, you're trying to draw a parallel between, like, the competition amongst delegates versus, like, competition, like, between conferences, yeah. right? Kind of drawing at that. Um, there's something that... Uh, we uh, talk about it at Best Delegated. This is really evident um, early on in Kevin's and my entrepreneurial journey. Um, are you familiar with the concept of like red ocean and blue ocean? No. So there's a famous um, book um, by, I believe, these professors at INSEAD called Blue Ocean Strategy. And, um, you know, there's this, you know, business strategy is like this whole field, right? And, um, the traditional view of competition is like firms, companies, like competing against one another, right? Um, in a way that like, you know, destroys value. And uh, some firms like win, right? They gain better value, but at the expense of other firms. It's almost like, I don't know, I don't uh, know the exact metaphor, but it's like, uh, like either like fish, like blooding, you know, attacking each other and like blooding the waters. That's like red ocean, right? But they point out in their, these professors point out in their study of like other firms that there's ways of approaching, you know, an industry or business where like you don't compete by like directly attacking one another. You compete by like opening new markets, by like going to where the oceans are not red, where they're blue, right? And trying to grow what this, this market is. Um, and that's something that, you know, we talk about at Best Delegate, like how to think blue ocean. It's also a core value for other MUN organizations. Um, our, our partners in India, I think uh, you're familiar with Worldview. That's apparently one of their core values. Um, and it even gets down to the, uh, like the economics of competition. Like if you read um, Michael Porter, who's like this Harvard Business School professor, and he's really famous when it comes to like business strategy. You know, he's like too many people think of co competition as like trying to be the best. And that's where, like, you know, you get this red ocean thinking, like to be the best, therefore other people must be worse. And so they compete and it's a zero sum game. And Porter actually argues like, you know, it's in, within economics, within businesses, it's not actually, it doesn't make sense to compete to be the best. It's a competition to be unique, right? It's a competition to stand out amongst other firms. And that tends to, to go towards more of a positive sum and like a blue ocean like way of thinking. And when I look at competition, like philosophically, when I look at competition uh, within MUN committees, when I look at competition between conferences, and when I look at competition, even for best delegate, um, I'm more biased to think in terms of the competition to be unique, to stand out, and to think blue ocean. And when we work with students, like we're basically telling them like, you know, compete by being unique, compete not by beating uh, the other delegates, you know, it's, you compete by like bringing them onto your team, 
You compete by standing out and representing your country better than anyone else. I think that's also true for conferences. Conferences are not really competing against one another, in my, in my view. Um, it, it may look like that. Um, but conferences really should be competing to be unique. And I also don't accept the um, claim that there's a finite number of delegates, actually. I think that there's way more students that should be participating in MUN than those who currently do. And that's a big difference. That's, a, that's, in my view, like a blue ocean, like positive some way of thinking. I think MUN has not uh, even started to reach like a critical mass of students that it could be reaching. You know, and that's like a big mission for us at Best Delegate is to bring MUN to all students. And I think that's true for us at Best Delegate. It's like, I know that there are other like MUN organizations and companies out there. And, and to your original question of doing it like MUN like for profit, from my point of view, like, um, I don't, I don't accept that dichotomy between being like nonprofit or like for profit. I think a best delegate more is like a social enterprise. And like, we've chosen a business model that enables a certain level, like financial sustainability. And we get that question, which is like, why, why didn't we begin best delegate as a nonprofit? And the answer is like one, it's way harder to start a nonprofit in the United States than like a company. There's more paperwork involved and there's actually higher costs uh, to doing so. But then two, it's like, it's not about being nonprofit or for profit. It's a, it's about the, the model for sustainability for the organization. And when you're a nonprofit, you know, your customers are not like your, like your users anymore, right? Your customers are actually the, the grants that you need to go for the donors you need to go for in order to fund your activities. Right. And nonprofits have this tension between like creating programming and activities versus always trying to like fundraise and find money. And it creates this natural tension, uh, which you want for certain organizations and missions. Whereas like in a for-profit model, your users are, you know, are presumably your customers or they're part of like a unit, like an organization or a family that, that, that is your customer or school. And, um, you know, the, the incentives are much more aligned. Right. So in a nonprofit model, it's like you're, you may have donors that are actually don't have the same incentives as like your actual beneficiaries. Whereas in a business, uh, it's not a hundred percent, but it's more likely to be that, that your users and beneficiaries are, are share, share incentives as your buyers, uh, the people that are actually buying your product. So it just, and, and so going with like a quote unquote for profit or like a social enterprise model, just, it works better for Kevin and me as like co-founders coming from a business background. And frankly, I just think for, for us and for like our organization, like it's a stronger and like more sustainable model. Well, that's a very exhaustive answer. It's a lot, lot of work, lot to work with here. Uh, let me, <laughs> yeah. uh, let me jump onto one point right away. And that's the, you know, that's the premise of, of a finite number of delegates. Maybe, maybe I misphrased it or maybe you misunderstood. I didn't mean that they're, uh, you know, there's an equilibrium of, of amount of delegates in the world that do MUN. I agree that it uh, increases every day uh, and all the time. There's an ever-increasing pool of delegates that uh, conferences can recruit from. But in, in a given time frame, let's say, for example, in, in the 2018-2019 season, there's only going to be so many delegates and they, you know, they only have limited time and they only have limited money. So they have to pick conferences uh, to go to. So in that sense... I I would insist that there is a competition for uh for for delegates and that 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 they are a finite resource and you mentioned that you know you can just recruit new ones okay sure but uh that doesn't work immediately I think that takes you know some some weeks some months uh, maybe a a generation or a season to to get them actively into MUN especially if you're recruiting them from maybe your own university where you're where you're hosting uh the conference and uh there's drop-offs too because in in every year somebody says well that's that's me i'm, I'm gonna stop doing doing mun so I, I think the scarcity still still applies but i wanted to uh talk about the the point that you made last and the, the, the you've you've talked about in great detail your your social enterprise model that you run uh at best delegate and I think that's that's an interesting hybrid between you know profit and and non profit without calling it one or the other. 
um leaving aside the legal distinction for a minute and and by the way you're sure. right uh it's, <laughs> right. it's the same in germany actually founding a for-profit company takes an afternoon and like 200 bucks and founding a non-profit is is much 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 harder um yep. so yeah i mean profit is the is is the go-to solution but uh you think that's the right way to go for your own company and and i agree um self-evidently because it works very well for you uh, but do you think that's the the only the only way, the right way, the the recommended way for for other conferences and other MUN companies to go about it, or do you think it's it's ethical or unethical in the context of of MUN to have a conference, for example, that says we run this as a business. This is a you buy an experience from us, and we give you a, a fantastic time. It's a little bit more expensive than everybody else, but uh that's that's our business model and we make we make money with it is that reprehensible in in your view somehow that taking into account that the, the whole point of mun and you've mentioned that a lot in in the in the best delegate award as uh, things you said is the point is to come together and not to excel on your own Well, why is there this assumption that profit is antithetical to that, right? There's like this underlying assumption that uh, there's this like spirit of MUN and certain things like are okay and aligned with it and certain things, particularly like, like business practices or commercialization uh, are not. And I think it's like th that underlying assumption is not uh, clear. It's not, it's not like act literally defined. Um, and it's that, that uh, I think I'm either challenging or like have a different view on because in my mind, like, yes, I, I do think there's this spirit to MUN and the spirit of community. And to, from my perspective, um, the question of like for-profit, non-profit social enterprise, uh, it's, it's not the point. Like, why does it matter whether an organization is doing something, you know, nonprofit or for-profit as long as it creates like a quality educational experience that promotes MUN for its target group of students? What does it, what does it matter? And what I think matters is whether that organization or conference finds a way to be sustainable. Like if it's doing good work and it's positively impacting students, like can it continue that impact? And for most, uh, like here's the, here's the funny thing. Uh, like for most conferences, like they may be formed as nonprofits right? Like they may be fall under like a nonprofit, uh, like organizational structure, but the business model of conferences is a business model. It's revenue centric, right? Conferences are funded by delegate fees. They're funded by students, you know, paying for it or like raising money through other ways in order to pay for it. Like most MUN conferences are like have a business model. And that business model is different from an, a traditional nonprofit business model, would have, which would have been to raise funding from outside donors in order to organize this event or have this programming, right? So that's where, like, there's this, uh, you know, there's, I don't know, there's, there's some disconnect uh, here. Um, and so the claim that, like, you know, conferences should only be nonprofit like, I don't quite buy that claim because if you look at just the economic activities of the conference, they're following a revenue-focused business model. I, I agree completely. Um, I didn't want to make that premise my own, but it's uh, it's been coming up and uh, uh, it's it's been raised not very popularly, but I, I feel that there is a debate coming on this um, and it might become more popular than than we can anticipate now quite soon. And I think you're completely right in questioning uh, the premise. And your observation, of course, is correct as well. Most conferences, or all the conferences I know, they, they have a very simple, you know, uh, budget. They 
they multiply the amount of delegates they get with their delegate fee, that's their income, and then they have, you know, room rent, food, software, whatever they need to buy for the conference, that's that's their expenditure, and there's the bottom line, and that's that's the most standard business model you can you can work with, uh sure. Yeah. But uh so we both agree that's that's it's not unethical to run it like that. Do you think there's there's a there's a ceiling and uh and and a limit to where uh you'd say okay this is this is taking it uh too far. Um and one specific example and I'm going to come back to that uh to that Reddit thread that I mentioned earlier. It's linked in in the show notes as well, so if you want to follow that discussion there you can. Uh, something that was mentioned there is a uh, is conferences in India where they do you know entire conferences they still call them MUNs but they do entire conferences Hogwarts themed and it's it's basically one big Harry Potter event or they lock people inside rooms from midnight to 6 a.m. to do you know hardcore crisis and i mean you can take this further you can you can you can turn an MUN into an uh, into an event there've been plans for doing model UNs on cruise ships for example and making it uh you know a pleasure cruise with a little bit of debating uh um, with a lighter dress code maybe uh do you think if you take that at absurdum that there is a, a level we can reach where we'd have to say okay this is not a model UN anymore this is a this is a pleasure cruise pretending to be an MUN to uh to grab delegates So that's not, that's not just in India. This is very much happening in the United States, right? And this is a debate. And there was like a whole New York Times article uh, on this that, that uh, we were interviewed for. Model Young conferences in the States do Harry Potter committees, Star Wars committees, um, Game of Thrones committees. Uh, if you're familiar with the show like Westworld. Um, one of the best committees uh, that I've seen was, um, have been based in literature. Right. I've seen um, uh, committees based on like different Shakespearean plays. Uh, my favorite one was uh, was Paradise Lost, where delegates had to represent like angels debating whether or not God should have created man. And they were chaired by Lucifer. And in the <laughs> middle of the first session. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Like in the middle of the first session, like the voice of God blares over the speaker phone and like Lucifer is cast out of heaven. And in walks Jesus Christ to start chairing the committee. And then crisis update, like Lucifer comes back with an apple, has convinced Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge. And Lucifer takes half of the committee into the basement of the building. They're now hell. And they're waging a joint crisis where they need to convince like ancient civilizations, like the Hebrews and the Ishmaelites, whether or not to worship God or false idols. Right. And became this like joint crisis, like proxy war. Incredible, like incredible. And it, and it engaged, you know, philosophy, religion, like ancient history, you know, and delegates were talking about this conference like six months uh, afterwards. Right. Um, it's, it's amazing. I blogged about it on, on the website and it has nothing to do with the UN. Right. And it's just nothing, nothing to do with, with the UN, but it happened under a model UN conference uh, at, at Yale, actually. And to this question of like, Okay, are there like limits, you know, <laughs> there's, is there a certain level of absurdity? Um, my, my view on that, uh, you know, and coming from this perspective where I, I, I believe in the beautiful diversity of this activity, um, the key thing for me is whether or not it's educational, like whether or not it's honestly an educational experience. And um, like, is that something that students like want? Like it's education for the students. I think the educators, I think this is where educators need to be involved. Like educators are trained to identify, like, is this like reaching an educational standard or a level of quality? And at the secondary and like primary levels, like parents as well. I think if you have like alignment between those three groups, student educators and parents as to whether or not this thing called MUN is a, whether it's a single event or a committee, like is educational. That for me is the point. Right, even if it's like MUN on a cruise ship, <laughs> that's something that's been talked about for years, actually, even when I was in college. Um, and you know, the, this critique of Model UN, like a really age-old critique, is that it's like Dungeons and Dragons, right, in suits. 
Yes, and LARPing in suits, that I think is the description LARPing in on, suits. The, on TV, yeah. TV tropes, yeah. Right, exactly, yeah. And, like, here's the thing. When, when MUN committees, like, go off the rails and it ceases, like, to have this educational objective, then, yeah, we basically just turned into Dungeons & Dragons and LARPing at that point, right? So that, that, I think there's a legitimate criticism there. Like, where is the educational standard or, like, what should be the educational objectives uh, for MUN, like, for student-run um, activities, committees, the conferences? Like, do they, can they make it an educational experience? You know, and I think across the board, like, they can. But this is where, like, the lack of, like, information and, like, standardization, I think, is, uh, has been hurtful and why it's needed. Right. Because I think you can do a Harry Potter simulation and make it very, very educational. And um, I also think you can run like a, a complete simulation of the UN that's purely accurate. Um, but like it can it could miss an educational objective, like if it's just not clearly stated or if people are not trained to achieve that. Right. You can go in both directions. And I think the point is that as long as it's an educational activity and then it falls under this like MUN brand, like that for me is the point. It's become very clear through, through both topics that you very much see uh, MUN as a, that's, that's how I'm going to interpret it, as a, as a means to an end to, to educate either yourself or uh, your kids or your students and uh, you know, teach, them, uh, teach them procedure, teach them something about the, the way international organizations work or uh harry potter works uh that still counts as education i guess but that's not mun for its for its own sake um the way you're describing it and i think that's again that's a very lofty very uh, very enlightened way to to think about it i i'm just worried that that mission uh or, or that um, that requirement is is lost on many MUN delegates, and I don't want to I don't want to talk badly about MUN delegates uh, in general or as a whole. But I don't <laughs> right. I don't think that the majority of people who go to MUN conferences share this goal, and that they say, "Well, I'm going to this conference to to educate myself." Uh, maybe a healthy portion of them, but I think just as many delegates would go to a conference that you know is on a cruise ship because of the cruise ship. Or go to a Harry Potter um, or Westworld committee uh, just just because of that, and um, I think it's important that you or that we in, include them, but and to a degree that that still keeps the educational uh, mission up. So in that sense, I I agree with you. You can you can take it to absurd levels as long as you still fulfill the educational objectives. Okay, fine. Um, but it's always going to be a, a balance. And, well, when I hear about committees such as the, such as the Lucifer thing that you mentioned, the, um, the, the angels debating, you know, the, the fate of ancient, ancient civilizations. It's actually, I've never heard of that before. It's actually quite, quite interesting. And, uh, oh, that, yeah. That's, that's a very different kind of, of educational, uh, educational mission educational mission yeah and that i mean that opens up a whole new side topic i think which is you know the, the whole crisis what's what's under the umbrella of crisis which can be anything from you know angel, right. angels to to board executives uh which which kind yep. of still use the the mun rules of procedure and still sit down you know at a long table and uh waiting each other's turn to to speak um but it's it has no resemblance to to mun anymore uh, at all, but I guess you're right. That still can have an educational um, benefit. Why not? I mean, like a real like. Uh, I don't know if it's literally within the scope of this interview, but you know, the very philosophical question here is like, what is Model UN exactly? What is Model right. UN indeed? I mean, if you, if you can right. if you can define that, it's LARPing in suits. Yeah. As, as long as you wear a suit and uh, and you play a role, and you you simulate something, that's that's model you win. I mean, the name isn't very descriptive, and maybe at some point, you know, the UN committees will be the extraordinary committees. It's like, what are they doing? They're model they're modeling the UN. That's so boring. Like, why would why? okay? They're doing a special committee. They're doing their thing over there. Maybe maybe at some point that'll be the outlier because we've moved away so far from the origins. 
if the name doesn't doesn't fit, but maybe the name is going to stick nonetheless. That the name is there; it has its own brand at this point, right? It's just this like global brand that no one uh, literally owns, and yet everybody can be a part of it, right, and feel a part of it. Um, I, I think there's something cool about that, actually. And you know, if I had to define what Model UN is. I think there's actually multiple levels to the definition, right? Like at a global level, Model UN is a community of all these different groups that are claiming Model UN. And I think for a lot of people, like MUN is oriented around the conference, right? The MUN conference that attracts like MUN clubs and societies and associations. Like that's a key like part of the MUN experience. And then I think at the core of it, like I look at it as an educational activity that features uh, role-playing simulations, right? And for me, that's a key part. It's educational. It's trying to teach people something, whether or not they are explicit about it, right? That it's an activity, it's educational, and like a key element of it is like simulation-driven, right? Like students take on roles, they're part of a simulation. And within MUN currently, and I do think, you know, for the history, for the life of this activity, like, it will predominantly be simulations of like UN bodies and probably most specifically like UN general assembly. Right. But, but then we start to branch out. It's not explicitly just the UN. It includes other uh, decision-making bodies within the UN, within the UN system, like other uh, international organizations. And it can include like national level organizations. So you see the national security council, all these national cabinets, uh, national legislatures. Um, I've seen it done at like state and local levels, like model uh, legislature at like the state level here in the United States. And then we can keep, you know, and then we can keep branching out. But, you know, a key feature to all MUN activities, it's like there are roles, it's simulation driven, um, and they're simulating some sort of body that is trying to make a decision. Well, we've come very meta over the course of this this discussion. We we started out with you know why is your company called Best Delegate, and we arrived at what even is MUN. Uh, so <laughs> that's that's been quite the journey. Uh, thank you, yeah. thank you very much for that. Yeah, yeah I think um, if you, I don't know if you have like a certain set of questions you're planning to ask like each of your guests, but I bet like over the course of the Muncast, if you just ask every guest like how do they define MUN? Like, what is MUN? You will probably get a lot of different answers. And that's both going to be like, really kind of concerning, right? It's going to be, you know, but at the same time, like really interesting and fascinating. And just show that this yeah. is like a beautifully diverse activity. There's this whole tapestry to this activity. There is. Well, that's the one thing we can most definitely agree on. MUN is a beautiful thing. That's, that's why we both decided to, you know, run, run a business around it and, uh, and keep putting effort and uh and attention to it um so in that sense thank you again for for coming on the show today i think it's been very interesting for me uh at least and even if nobody ends up listening to it i still would have enjoyed it uh <laughs> i do hope we do get some listeners though um thank you very much for for coming on the show and and sharing your thoughts robin thanks for having me uh this has been a lot of fun and i hope when you get to like your ex uh, episode uh you'll let me reverse roles <laughs> yes. and you get interviewed for your own podcast we, we can do a rejoinder why not i'll keep that in mind until then <laughs> take care awesome thanks robin